Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Hey, uh, so we have have some exciting things uh, happening today. Uh, We have our confirmation service is tonight. Uh, so those eighth graders who are uh, being confirmed, there's a, a service that happens at five o'clock in the sanctuary. Um, that's a, a service where we, as a congregation, kind of wrap our arms around those individuals and commit to, to walking along with them um, in the rest of their faith journey. Confirmation is kind of a launch pad for their faith. And so, um, so if, you would, if, if you want to join in on that service and be part, here for part of it, whether you're a prayer partner or you just want to support those, those confirmands, uh, they're leading and running the service, and so it's a, it's a fun time. Um, Sophie leads that group, um, Sophie Priestmeyer, and so she does an incredible job. Uh, so that, that happens tonight. Uh, so, oh, yes. Um, if you are K through second grade, um, you can head to Children's Church today. Got you. Perfect. Well, friends, as we, uh, as we dive into our scripture today, um, we're continuing our series uh, called Reflections, where we are looking into the Word of God, and the Word of God reflects back into our own lives. Uh, we believe um, the Hebrew writer who says that the Word of God is alive and active, um, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing both soul and spirit, bone, bone and marrow, uh, that, it, that it reads and reflects the, our heart as we, as we dive in. Um, we were created in the image of God. And so if the word of God is, is, is God, um, then we ought, to see, we ought to see God and it ought to reflect back the difference between our heart and the, and the heart of God. And so uh, as we dive into the word today, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, um, to kind of get an understanding of, of how God understands and sees the lost, the countercultural value system of the kingdom of God this morning. So these are common parables, parables that you've probably read before. The parable of the lost sheep, right? One of the most famous parables of Jesus um, where he leaves the 99 and goes and chases after the one. And, and, this, and then the parable that follows it is the parable of the lost coin where the woman turns over her house to find this one coin, we all understand these parables because we've all lost something, right? Um, and I don't know if you've, if you've ever lost something that was like really significant. Um, there's this level of anxiety that kind of builds up, right? Um, just, just the same as if we've lost something that is insignificant, um, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, whatever, you know? We can replace it, it's fine, no big deal. Um, I am... I am um, historically terrible about losing things of value. Um, I, for, there's a two-year period where I ran through like three different pairs of, of 
um, AirPods. Like those, those headphones that are, they're, they're valuable, but they're so slippery, right? And, and I, I would wear these pockets and they were like not really deep. And every time I'd sit down, they'd just like fly out. Of, I, don't, I don't know what it was, but I, would, I, lost, I lost one in like a golf cart. I put it in there and just left it. Uh, and then it was gone. I lost like two. It just fell out of my pocket somewhere. Uh, it was inevitable. I could not hold on to these things. Abby was like starting to restrict my budget, um, not, not letting me like buy things of value because I could just misplace them. In that same time period, there, there must have been something happening in that time period. I think maybe kids. Um, but uh, I lost like three pair of sunglasses uh, that were like nice sunglasses. So I moved to, um, to, I go to the dollar store now and I buy, uh, I bought like, 12 pairs of $1.50 sunglasses. And I, I have no problem losing these things. Like, I, I haven't lost a single one yet. Uh, I don't know what it is about it. But, uh, but if, I, if I do lose one, it's negligible, right? Um, the, the way in which we respond when we lose something is dependent on, that va- on the value of that thing to us. Right? Uh, compare that to, uh, to losing a child, right? Um, being in a, in a crowded space and not being able to find a child, the, the anxiety level raises really quick. Uh, I remember being at a KFL football, uh, that KFL football field, and uh, our Akaya had run off to go play with a friend that was on the other, the other field, and at the end of the game, we cannot find her anywhere. We find the friends, and they're like, oh, she went back to you like, like five minutes ago. Right? And we are looking everywhere. She's probably looking everywhere. We're probably walking the opposite way around the field. Uh, but there was all of the what ifs, right? Start going through your head in that, those moments and the anxiety level, the panic level gets, um, raises really quick because of the value of the thing lost. So today as we dive into to Luke chapter 15, we see um, the countercultural value system of the kingdom of God laid out before us. So before we dive into these, um, these common parables, uh, if we look back to context, I think context is, is absolutely huge, it's absolutely important. We, we pull these parables out so often um, and just read it for, for that one little chunk of text that it is. Um, and we take, take everything that, and just kind of apply it to our own story and then that's it. But the gospel authors are specifically writing these parables in an order because they've already talked about something that they're trying to emphasize. And so the things around parables, especially parables, um, is absolutely essential for us. Uh, one of the themes in Luke's gospel is that um, he talks a lot about who is welcome at the banquet table, um, who, is, who we should invite, who should be sitting around the table with us, with dining with, with God. And he says in Luke chapter 14, the chapter before, he tells this other parable that I think illuminates and speaks light into our parable in chapter 15. In in chapter 14, uh, starting in verse uh, 12, he says this. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they would invite you in return and you be repaid. But... You, if you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid 
for the, uh, you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so in light of that, of that understanding, of, in light of who he calls us to invite to the banquet table, we see this parable in Luke chapter 15. It says this, Luke chapter 15, starting in verse one. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. As if that there was something wrong with that. As, as if that that was um, a faux pas. As if that was uh, wrong in their culture and society. And so everything that we read is in light of that um, in the context of who is allowed at the banquet table. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you, the judgmental Pharisees, has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and then goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not repent. Verse eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found the lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love when I go back and read um, a passage of scripture and, um, and I see something in it that, I didn't see, that I've never seen before. Um, that happened to me as I was reading in context this week. Uh, I always thought that Jesus was the main character in the saving the lost sheep. But in fact, Jesus specifically tells the story and, and inserts the Pharisees as the one saving the lost sheep. I think it's really interesting uh, how, that, how that plays out in um, understanding, the, understanding what the message that Jesus is trying to tell. He says, suppose one of you, those people who are jud- being judgy, those people who are, uh, who are not okay with Jesus meeting with the sinners. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Well, if you think to the mindset of, of this Pharisee who is trying to put themselves in the middle of this story, all of a sudden he's already judging that he is better than the shepherd because shepherds are the worst. Shepherds are the smelliest. Shepherds are, are, um, are loners in society. They're off for months and months and months of the year. Uh, social outcasts. So he's putting them in shoes of someone that they're already saying, well, I would never do that because I'm better than them, right? And then, and then he doesn't say, suppose you lost a sheep, as if intrinsically there was some great value to this sheep. No, he compares losing the one to the 99 that he already has left, there's, specific, there's, a, there's a reason why there's a comparison there. It's not just, not just an understood fact that this sheep is super valuable. In fact, this would elicit the, the exact opposite understanding. He says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country 
and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I think the Pharisee's response would be, no, I wouldn't. No, I have 99 other sheep. Why would I go find the one? It's negligible. It's a negligible loss. But he continues on. To show the contrast between, to show the mirror to the heart of God. And when he finds it, assuming that they would say no, and they'd be like, well, but that's different than me. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder. He comes home and then he calls to his friends and neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. I actually have a, a video of Jesus finding that lost sheep here on the screen. It's amazing that I was able to pull this up. Can we show that one more time? Isn't that, isn't that exactly our story, right? Hey, you probably shouldn't be doing that. Oh, really? Oh, I shouldn't? You saved me from that? <laughs> you see, he's trying to contrast. He's trying to contrast the heart of the the Pharisees with the heart of God. In fact, in the next story, he further elaborates. He says, there's suppose a woman. Well, why did Jesus make that a woman? Why did he not just say, suppose somebody has a coin, a value that they lost? No, he, he, he specifically says a woman because the Pharisee would have said, well, I'm already better than her too. Right, because I'm a teacher of the law and women have no rights and women are, are lesser in our society. Therefore, you're comparing me to somebody who is already better. So they're already putting themselves in the seat of honor at the banquet table. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. It doesn't say that the woman is poor or a widow. It just says that she's a woman. She has 10 silver coins. A, a silver coin in that time would be a, a, a drachma, um, and so 10 drachma was equal to one day's wage. So suppose uh, a woman lost one-tenth of one day's wage. And then he asks the question, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep until she finds it and calls all of her friends uh, together and says, rejoice with me after I found it? The Pharisees would have said No. <laughs> No, that's negligible loss. I'm not spending my entire day to search for one-tenth of one day's wage. What is that? In fact, I think what we see here in our text is that what is a negligible loss for the world is a tragic loss for the kingdom of God. I saw this... um, so clearly in, when I was in the Dominican Republic, uh, just this uh, last week, um, 
had an opportunity to, to go and, and to see uh, just the kind of the climate of things over there. Uh, there's a, a student mission trip that's going to the Dominican Republic um, in July. And so we were kind of scouting and setting up um, because there's been some really dramatic shifts in their climate and culture over the last year because Haiti is really bad. I mean, it's, it's like run by gangs and no, really no government. And so things have just gotten really, really, really bad. And so in droves, there are people flooding across the border illegally into the Dominican. And so as they enter into the Dominican, uh, the Dominicans don't want the Haitians to be there. And so, um, so they're pushing them to the outskirts of these cities. And so in the outskirts of these cities, there are uh, people living in ways that no human should live. They're finding trash and leaning it up, up against other trash and living with no water and no electricity in a place where they are not welcomed and where they are not loved, in a place where they have no governmental support, they have no uh, societal support. Um, all they have is each other. And it's gotten so bad that the Dominican government who is um, already struggling are sending buses around to pick up people that they find on the streets, people who are searching for work, searching for ways to provide for their families. Uh, if they're found on the streets or found working, they'll just throw them on a bus and, t- and ship them back without any warning, without any due process. They just send them back, oftentimes disrupting and breaking up families. We, uh, we walked into one of these villages uh, to find a three-year-old inconsolably crying on what seemed like her mother's lap only to find out that five, at 5 a.m. that morning, immigration had busted into their village, which is new, had busted into their village and started pulling out um, people who were illegal and had taken mom and dad away from this three-year-old child. You see, we can hear tragic stories like that, but, um, but these negligible Losses. These, these people that, that we hear about on the news or some tragedy happens overseas and, and it feels kind of like a $1 pair of sunglasses that gets tossed out. But when, we, when, we're, when we're in the dirt with them, when we hear their stories, when we get to know their, their lives, it changes us. It's one of, one of the reasons why I love short-term mission trips because it opens our eyes and it connects us in deeper ways to the, to the, the global church it connects us to people all across the world. Those, those, when we are in relationship with people, those lives, those, those places that feel negligible all of a sudden have, have life and have meaning. If you're connected to people, it changes everything. One of the one of the ministries that I love here at the church is um, our Kairos prison ministry. And um, probably the most negligible, negligible loss in our society is death row. I mean, they are the worst of the worst. They are the people who have no value to our society. So much so that they've been locked away, isolated from the rest of the world so that they might die. But Kairos um, prison ministry has has gained the favor to go into death row and hold these spiritual retreats with these men. And after the first one, uh, this program is kind of pioneering its, its way across the, um, across the, the nation. Um, and these 
so many men came to know Christ, that first Kairos, that they renamed uh, Polunsky Cairo, uh, Death Row to Life Row. And every day, uh, we're about to do our third um, prison, our, our third death row prison ministry um, at Polunsky. Uh, to this day, every morning, they wake up on death row and they hold church. From their cells, screaming across the block, uh, one person will say, I got the scripture today. I got, I, got the, I got the sermon today. I got the song today. And they just yell church back and forth to each other with about 150 other captives who, who can't go anywhere but hear the gospel. You see, in the kingdom of God, those negligible losses become tragic. They become worth flipping over rugs and couches to find. They're worth leaving the 99 to go and pursue. This is the heart of Jesus. In a moment, um, I'm gonna bring up, are Marlon and Jessica in here? Oh, they're there. Very good. Um, so Marlon and Jessica are missionaries in Costa Rica and, um, and they have, they've felt the call uh, 14 years ago to go to Costa Rica and to begin uh, ministry to uh, the least and the lost. Um, and so I wanna invite them forward. Come on out, guys. Um, we're, gonna, we're just gonna share together um, and uh, kind of understanding a little bit about their heart for, for the lost and what that means. But church, as, as, we, as they come forward, um, I think what this passage shares uh, brings to light for us is as we look into the face of God, as we look into the scriptures, look, we look into the word of God, we ought to be challenged just like these Pharisees to reevaluate our understanding of the... Uh, of the value system of the kingdom of God. And so, uh, so I have Marlon and Jessica up here. I, I, got, I met Marlon and Jessica uh, probably uh, 10 years ago, something close to that, um, as we, uh, we took a, a youth mission trip to Costa Rica. Um, and uh, actually, I think I met you here before that. And then yep. um, yes. as you guys, yeah, I was in here uh, doing something and I, I met y'all and uh, we connected and I was like, we. Oh, you're the, you're the missionaries that we visit in, in Costa Rica. And so, um, so we got to connect. Uh, these, these people are um, some of the most spirit-filled people that I've ever met. Um, their heart for the lost and heart for, for people, um, their relational uh, nature of ministry that they, they do is, um, I think, something to be modeled. I think it, it models this beautiful image of what it means to, to love, love and seek and invite the lost to the table. Um, but I want, I want y'all to share, uh, just real quick, um, tell us a little bit about your story about how you got called into, um, to, to plant a church in Costa Rica. Okay. Ed, bless you to all. Blessings to all of you. Pleasure to be here. A blessing to be here. Uh, well, the journey started in 2008. Yeah. Um, I was in a service and they did an altar call. Uh, this church that I was helping was a Hispanic church. And, um, I just felt that the Lord put in my heart that, it was time for me to go back to Costa Rica. And the Lord wanted me to do something different, uh, mm-hmm. to bring something different to Costa Rica. Uh, there was a lot of uh, preaching about materialism, uh, emotionally abusing people with the, with the Word of God, uh, uh, spiritual abuse, I would be called that. Um, and um, so the Lord just put in my heart, He said, I want you to go and do something very different, uh, yeah. something that will model something very different. 
they will represent me how near I am to everyone, how close I am to everybody because uh, they feel very distant from God and most of the people down there. So, so we did. So we've been embarking that project with the yeah. Lord. And so, Jessica, you, you had spent some time here at Kingwood Methodist Church for, for some years. Yes, I'd been here several years with my family, probably around age 15, I, and um, visiting my grandparents. We were from the East Coast, and, yeah. and then later, when I was 18, I went down to Costa Rica to where um, Kingwood Methodist had been building a church, helping build a church in Turrialba, which is the, the city that we work around. It's also the name of the county. And we've been all over that county. Yeah, right. You say that we've been pan, gold panning for souls. <laughs> we've been all over there. So that was my experience. I went down for just a little while. I met him at the very end of my trip. And then we got married pretty quickly, came back here. But we couldn't forget about Costa Rica. Because we were, what we were receiving, what we were eating mm -hmm. here, what we were, the spiritual food we were getting here, we weren't getting it down there. And yeah. when we were newlyweds, we were down there. We were hurting. Mm -hmm. for what is being preached here, the uh, applicable gospel of Jesus Christ. How does that apply to our daily lives? So when Marlon said, it's time to go back, I was like, yes. Yeah, because you, your heart had been, had yes. been touched uh, in such a way through relationship and through, through those connections. Yes, because I'd yeah. spent three months there prior yeah. to meeting him and, and working with children in one of the poorest, most despised sections of Trialba. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, tell me about kind of your heart for the, for the lost there in Costa Rica. Well, uh, we Costa Ricans, uh, we're a very happy culture. We're very happy, very outgoing. We do have a lot of, yeah. Pura, pura vida. Yes, uh, we have the pura vida saying they're pure life. <laughs> uh, but it's a disguise because yeah. we all need Jesus. Uh, we all are sinners. We all need uh, the opportunity uh, to know our our Lord and Savior. And um, Costa Ricans, we keep a lot of things in our hearts. Um, we're very happy, but we have uh, this thing, but we don't want to uh, show people really what's going on in here. So, You're not so uh, different, you and I. <laughs> and, uh, but, but you can see Costa Ricans think of the Lord as in like, God is way up there, and I'm so low down here that... Um, that God is so not happy with me that He's waiting for me to do something really, uh, even tiny things, so He can just kind of push His foot on me and go like, "Okay, you little bug, um, you raised your name." Or, or and so um, my heart for them is a heart of love and compassion, and a heart where I understand the culture and um, where I want to tell them, you know, Christ is near. He will come to where you are. He will meet you where you are. Uh, the only thing you have to do is give your life to Him. In Him we find righteousness, hope, and the solution for all the problems, for all the burdens that we carried. Um, so that, that's, that's my heart for, for, for Costa Rica. It's just a heart of love and sympathy, empathy, and um, this, this, this immense desire for them to know that God is yeah. near. Yeah, one of the things uh, I love about uh, Marlon and Jessica's church there is they've, they've fostered a community of people that looks very different from the culture around them. Oh, yes. Um, and it's it is a kingdom it's a kingdom culture in a world that is that is um, is really surrounded by darkness. 
It um, is. Yes. It is. It's very deceiving because yeah. you go to Costa Rica and then you see your commercials or the uh, tourist uh, vacations and you see this beautiful Costa Rica and it is beautiful. Believe it's beautiful. Absolutely. 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 But it, it is lost in Costa Rica. So that's that's kind of awesome. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the, the deal is that <laughs> under all that beauty, I usually tell everybody when they go around that all this beauty, there's this undercurrent of evil and witchcraft and all these things are moving around their envy uh, a lot of envy uh, in people uh, uh, their hearts are full of envy um, they want they want they want they want money they want money they want this they want that they want to live better um, and so um, it's very deceiving it's very deceiving and so that's that's the great thing about bringing the Christ in our message yeah uh, the simple gospel in that community uh, we started with dairy farmers <laughs> yeah 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 and and uh one of the things I, I think is really cool is that you didn't go to Costa Rica to, to plant a church. No, no. It you, was, went to, you went to love the people. I went to love the people. We went to love the people. We went, uh, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel, um, yeah. you know. Well, our idea was to go and help out with your father's church. Yes. And just bring this, like, fresh encouragement of what we've been receiving here in the States. And uh, we just, all we found was religious dogma, and, and it wasn't going to fit. No, so, the, the kind of yeah. thing, you know, where they, 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 I grew up with, you know, where they tell you, you do this or you're going to hell. Uh, you have uh, long hair, you go to hell. Uh, but like, we can't work with you people. You wear pants, <laughs> you go to hell. Um, and so everything is hell. So they're bringing, pe bringing people to Jesus through fear. <laughs> yeah. And so God doesn't want that. Yeah. So, uh, so right now, you've, you've served in Costa Rica for 14 years. Um, God kind of called you into a season of sabbatical, a season of, of rest, kind of your, uh, your year of jubilee, right? Um, tell me about that experience. You, you guys are staying in um, at your, your brother's church down in Corpus Christi hmm. right now. Uh, tell me, how, how has that season of sabbatical been for you? Well, it's been a really big change. Uh, three years ago, I injured my back, so I, God had to slow me down. Because I, I love to be in the middle of the action in the Lord. I just love preaching. I love uh, hiking through the jungles and taking the gospel. Uh, very active. Uh, my associate pastor is also a very active man. Uh, he's more of a jungle man than I am, uh, <laughs> as you know. Um, for, by the way, he said to tell you hello. Oh, okay. Okay. Love just, he loves you a, a whole lot. He, only, he talks about <laughs> you. He talks about cleans. Cleans. <laughs> so um, uh, I. Uh, <laughs> Um, it's, it's being different, uh, but at the same time, it's been such a huge uh, relief, such a, such a refreshment in the Lord to be able to step back and look from the outside into what the Lord wants to do in Costa Rica. He's still saving people. He's still, there's amazing things happening. Today, um, they sent me a message about angelical visitation in the church service last night. So some people were seeing actual angels in there. So it was just an amazing, uh, they're having an amazing revival time over there. Yeah. So, but to me, uh, it makes me want to be there, but I know that uh, I need to be here and I need to look at what, uh, pray about what the Lord wants to do with MAP Costa Rica, what he wants to do with our ministry, what's the next step for us as, uh, as pastors of MAP Costa Rica, uh, um, what he wants us to do with the work over there. So um, it's been a blessing. Our family is getting, uh, getting healed physically, yeah. emotionally. Yeah. Uh, it takes a toll in your emotions. Uh, every day as a missionary, you see the yes. glorious moments, yep. but you're always under a lot of test and you're always under a lot of uh, uh, attack from the enemy. And so it's good to, to be able to 
to breathe a little bit, and uh, we're receiving a lot too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice not to be in charge, yeah, uh, but it still work a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Anything, Dan? Good. Oh, yeah. I was, I was just going to say that uh, it's been. It's been really nice to step back and see that God is faithful. He says, I will establish the work of your hands. Mm -hmm. And to know that it was really him who sent us there. We knew it was him, but it's nice. Confirmations are nice. Yeah, you know. And to look and see what he's doing, see the church growing. Um, Like the lady a couple months ago who who came to church and she came up to the front and repented of witchcraft, received Jesus Christ, and then later... She and her family took all her witchcraft stuff in a bag and threw it in the river. And, you know, one of those wow. rivers we yeah. probably crossed over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe the river you rafted in. I'm not quite sure. But anyway, um, so it's wonderful to see that the Lord has established that work. Yeah. It's so exciting yeah. to yes. work with him and know so, that, and, that and, it was him. Yeah. He's done it. We can't take any credit. And being in, in this position of rest... Mm-hmm. Um, as we also get to, to minister a little bit, um, it is so refreshing. I'm back to music again, uh, my, yeah. like how, how I first yeah. started. So I'm doing music yeah. pretty much every day uh, of the week. And it's being healing too for, for, for me. Because when we serve God, one of the ways God heals us is by serving Him. Mm-hmm. Um, only with the difference of not being, I'm to worry about every single detail of any service. Yeah. I just go in there and give Jesus what he wants. And I just want to say this real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's give Jesus what he wants. Um, the best way to live our lives is by giving Jesus what he wants. To live a life where it's not self-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, because I could say I'm in sabbatical. I don't want to do uh, any kind of work. I'm, I'm, I'm resting. This is a well-deserved rest after 14 years. But when we put on Jesus, when we have Jesus, Jesus is not someone you can just take off and put on whenever you want. We belong to him. Our life is his and not ours. You bought us. And so I just, I just want to say that uh, always give Jesus what he wants and you will find out how great and how amazing God is moving all the time. Yeah. Amen. Amen. As the, the band comes back up uh, to close us, um, many people in this, in this church and, um, have been praying for you guys, um, especially on sabbatical season um, and supporting you financially. Um, what are some ways that we can specifically be praying over you and your family during the rest of the season? Uh, we would love to, to, to keep, for you to keep praying for uh, our family, to keep healing as a family, you know, after all the work we're done. Pray for um, our back problems, physical problems that we are dealing with. After 14 years, your body starts getting really, and I don't know, I hit 40, and it's like <laughs> after 40, I, I find pain. Every, 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 every new pain comes up, and I'm calling a doctor, say, is this normal? Is that normal? All paranoid, you know? Because something new hurts every day. Uh, just, just for that, pray, pray for... for and blood pressure issues, lots of stuff that is more, you know. Yeah. Stress-related and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And also, uh, just pray for the Costa Rican church, for Pastor Leonardo, uh, protection over them. He's doing an excellent job. He's just yeah. amazing. And, and pray for that. The God will protect that, that growth that is going on and that revival that is happening right now in our little town uh, in Las Nubes. That's what it's called, the town Las Nubes, the clouds that it will continue to grow. Um, and also for the finances of, of our ministry, uh, my family, uh, we still have um, some uh, 
let's say, deficit in our budget uh, to finish these uh, year rest. So just pray that God will bring individuals and keep moving and the, already the, the people that are sponsoring us and pray also pray for those who are sponsoring us too, yeah. uh, for all the churches and all the ministries because the Lord is using them in a mighty way. Uh, they're doing what they can and we know that and we love that. And, and we're sending money. And yeah, we're sending money down to Costa Rica to help with Pastor Leo uh, because he's it's becoming a full-time yeah. work right now for him, so he can't do part-time anymore. So yeah. just just pray for those that the financial blessing that the Lord uh, is going to move because I know it's already done in His name yeah. um, to to cover all these uh, other our family needs and the ministry needs down there. Yeah. And uh, and thank you so much, my brother, for yeah. this Absolutely. amazing privilege. And yeah. thank you so much for giving us an opportunity. Thank you, so much. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Church, would you, uh, would you extend a hand um, as we pray over Marlon and Jessica this, this morning? Uh, Holy Spirit, we, um, we give thanks for the ways that you are moving um, in and through uh, their life. God, I know that you have used them in beautiful ways, um, but uh, in this season, God, I pray that you would heal their vessels. God, the, the cracks that have... Um, that have formed just through, through just weariness. And, and um, God, I pray that, that in this season of rest that you would heal those spaces uh, so that they might be equipped, uh, more equipped and more uh, nourished to be able to, to pour out um, in, in the ways that you are calling them in this next season of their lives. God, we pray for sustenance. We pray for, uh, for healing. We pray for, um, for just the, the life of your church, um, both here in the States and globally. Mm-hmm. Um, God, we, we give thanks for uh, their heart for the lost and the ways that, um, that they are pursuing, uh, not those of, of great value in culture and society, but those who have been uh, cast away and, and thrown aside um, in beautiful ways. And so uh, we just honor you in that. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, uh, we give thanks and, and we as a church respond. Amen. <laughs>